0: Welcome to the legal merry-go-round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face: brushes with the police, oh boy; family disputes, oh no; An injury and in accident situations, ouch. And now, here's
1: Paul. Hello there. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me here on the legal merry-go-round, where I'm going to share again and again every time I come to this microphone that I want you to avoid the downs and savor the ups, not just in connection with your thinking about the law, but in every single thing you do every single day and every waking moment and you say why well i think that's obvious avoiding downs is a good thing and savoring ups is also a good thing and i only wish for you good things so here we have today my fender bender friday show on the legal merry-go-round i am your host attorney paul samaco and today's topic is defamation. Now Fender Bender Fridays of course makes reference to an automobile collision and we all have experience with that. We understand that you can get hurt physically and the Friday show that I do here is about compensation for all measure of injuries. Today's show, defamation, isn't necessarily and probably isn't a physical injury but it's an injury that can cut deep. Defamation. What is defamation? There's often confusion among people who really don't understand, and I am here today to share with you exactly what it is and give you some examples of some cases that have gone down in our nation's history. So defamation, it's an intentional false communication saying something that you know to be not true, or writing it. So there there is the difference, spoken or written, that harms someone's reputation. False written statements are called libel. Spoken falsities are called slander. So that's really the only way we can communicate, I guess, Either saying something, or writing it. Now, to recover in a defamation claim, the aggrieved individual must show four things, okay? You got your pencil and paper out? Are you writing this down? Number one, a false statement of fact was made. Number two, the statement was published Meaning, it was conveyed to someone other than the plaintiff. So, if I'm standing there next to you and I make up some story that I know to be untrue about you and I tell you that story, that is not going to be considered defamation because it's just between me and you. So, I can lie to your face. But the moment I go to a third person, that's what's considered publication, that allows for the potential of a defamation claim. So at least one person who saw it or heard it and understood it as having a defamatory meaning. Publication includes statements that are posted on the internet, social media websites, and a blog post, a comment, a review, or as a video or an audio statement. So again, it has to have an audience, not just the person to whom the comment is directed. The third thing that must be proven in a defamation case is that the false statement was made negligently or intelligently. Uh, Intelligently? Well, it wouldn't be intelligent if it was not true. Let me retract, retract that word. Start over. The false statement was made negligently or intentionally with little or no reason to believe that the statement was factually correct. In some situations, Actual malice must be proven in addition to falsity. Actual malice can be proven if the person knowingly publishes the false statement of fact, or at least recklessly does so. Uh, Four, the fourth thing must be proven. Some injury to the plaintiff resulted from the defamation. I'm going to get to a very detailed discussion of proof of harm in the second half of the show today. But generally generally speaking, there are four defenses to libel or slander. Truth, consent, accident, and privilege. Okay, let's go through those. Truth means that it's essentially true. So if I say something to the world about you that is extremely harmful to you, but it's true, then you can't sue me for defamation. Consent to publication will bar any recovery. Accidental publication is not publication. So if my diary about you somehow gets stolen and someone publishes it, you don't have a claim against me. You may have a claim against them, but that's another discussion. Privilege confers what is called immunity uh, on some who are engaged in doing business of the public, such as judges, attorneys. Jurors and witnesses in legal proceedings. All right, so I want to go through just a a bit more and I want to get to some pretty interesting cases. In common law, this is the law that was brought over to our country from England. There were four types of communications that were considered so harmful that the plaintiff was not required to prove specific harm or damages in order to prevail in a lawsuit. These damages are called per se damages. That means just simply by the publication, you tell a third person, you put it on the internet, whatever it is, one of these four things, you are automatically entitled to damages, to compensation. These communications remain in force in all but a few states. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. The first type of statement that is so damaging that has been brought over to our country and exists now in all but a few states. Number one, detrimental statements relating to a person's business or profession. Number two, false claims alleging someone committed crimes of, you're going to love this term, moral turpitude, which is conduct that is considered contrary to community standards of justice, honesty, or good morals. This is typically things like lying or fraud. Number three, statements that a woman was unchaste. Okay, that's a nice word for calling her a prostitute or a whore or a slut or something like that. And number four, claims that the person suffers from a loathsome disease. And typically this would be something that would, might be a sexually transmitted disease. Proof of any of these types of defamatory per se statements typically means that the plaintiff is going to win in a lawsuit against the person who published or uttered or promoted or printed these things. Now today, only Missouri and Tennessee, um, uh, all, all states I should say, except Missouri and Tennessee have defamation per se laws. So, that in Missouri and Tennessee, they do not have those laws. Damage awards rendered by most juries today ultimately reflect real harm. Um, I would tell you certainly, false statements are when, when false statements are made about public figures, there are stricter standards that apply than, let's just call it the garden variety of mudslinging between neighbors. There's a famous case that I'm going to talk about. Um, their uh, Supreme Court back in 1965, the standard case for the claim of defamation uh, involving public figures is New York Times versus Sullivan. Any lawyer can tell you about this case if you ask. It established what is called actual malice, the actual malice standard for public figures claiming defamation. So a public official or other person who has voluntarily placed themselves in the public eye must prove that a defamatory statement was made with actual malice. So typically, as in this case, a public figure, uh, Sullivan, sued the New York Times for statements that uh, were believed to be uh, false and made with knowledge of actual malice, intending to harm, that is, knowledge that it was false with reckless disregard about its accuracy. The Times case also established more protection for the press. Uh, It allowed for open and robust debate on public issues that made clear what was published uh, in these types of cases prior. Now there's a standard. Sullivan, by the way, was a police officer who claimed the Times made false allegations about him. Now that we're thinking about this class, okay, you know, you you say to you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, what about, you know, what what about the First Amendment? The First Amendment right to free speech. Well, indeed, it protects critics of public figures now, according to back in 64, the New York Times versus Sullivan. Um, but it protects them only to a point, the the people making these claims against public figures. Um, If these claims are done with reckless disregard of falsity, then the public figure then has the right to go ahead and file a defamation lawsuit uh, and would be expected to win. I'd like to share a couple of, of interesting cases with you because as we go around the world and people opening their mouths, sometimes they can find themselves getting in quite a bit of trouble. In 2011, a woman by the name of Crystal Cox claimed press status as an investigative blogger, but she found herself on the losing end of a ruling. She was determined not to be what they called mainstream media. A verdict of $2.5 million was entered against her in an Oregon federal court. She criticized the financial companies. These reviews adversely affected her uh, business. A federal judge ruled that although she was a blogger, her work and numerous websites under business names showed that she did not qualify to get the protections journalists are afforded in defamation cases. It's pretty clear there's better ways to vent frustrations with those we're angry with or against whom we have business problems with than to go public with defamatory comments. You know, clearly filing a lawsuit in a business situation will hopefully resolve the matter, uh, and writing a private letter to someone who has offended you uh, certainly might allow you to vent. Public speech can be very, very costly. Let's go to a celebrity and ask her about public speech. Courtney Love, know who she is? Okay, well, in March of 2011, she settled the defamation lawsuit agreeing to pay a fashion designer $430,000 for derogatory and untrue comments that Courtney made on Twitter and her MySpace blog. A $4,000 dispute, get that, $4,000 over payment for a dress led Courtney to make numerous disparaging remarks about the designer's business. Love also felt it was appropriate to call the woman a whore and a convicted uh, convicted prostitute. Not real smart, Courtney, but if you follow that young lady's career, um, I guess you could conclude very easily that she has not always made the best decisions in her life. Well, here's another case. I really like this one uh, because it it put put some people in their place. Uh, This is a, a lesson in not joining the crowd. It came in Texas all the way back in 2008. Uh, This was a a very, very upsetting uh, situation for Mr. and Mrs. Lester. There was an unending, uh, I'll use the word cacophony, of malicious people who took their misguided outrage viral. The Lesters had not yet even been indicted for sexual assault, but the electronic world became... Uh, call a repository for then-anonymous scorching of them, mostly on the web, a forum called Topics. Uh, Despite the couple's complete acquittal, the postings continued. Mr. and Mrs. Lester identified the posters. They sued because the posts accusing them of being sexual deviants, molesters, and drug dealers caused them, to say the least, to be indicted and then to move out of town. Mrs. Lester lost her day spa business. So they filed a lawsuit against the people who were doing the postings, and in 2012, a jury awarded them, are you sitting down, $13.78 million. Good for the Lesters. Now, going to the world of sports, uh, do you remember uh, Sarah Jones, a former Cincinnati Bengals cheerleader, Well, she successfully sued a gossip website that published comments that she had sex with every Bengals player. A jury awarded her $338,000. You know, I, I would say just as a general rule, speak the truth or keep it to yourself. I'm going to come back after the break, and I want to talk about damages in these cases, not necessarily money damages and how much people get when they sue or don't get, but the structure of damages, uh, the difference between per se and what is called per-quad damages in these defamation cases. Don't go away. I'll be right back. This might be the all-time single biggest claim in the history of the world, in any courtroom, in any country, bar none. A gentleman by the name of Anton was bitten by a rabies-infested dog on a New York City bus. Pretty bad stuff, admittedly. He then files a lawsuit. Naming numerous defendants, New York City, New York City Transit Authority, two local hospitals, and this one I can't for the life of me figure out, the Aubon Pair store. Well, here's the, uh, the record-setting claim. He asked for two undecillion dollars. Two undecillion dollars. Now, I'd never even heard that term or that word before, but interestingly enough, it's not a fake number. It's 340 trillion, trillion, trillion. I don't think he collected. But, hey, he made history with that claim. (laughs)
0: Okay. It's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com, and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to legalmerrygoround.com And now, back to the show
1: thank you for coming back well of course you did you couldn't wait to hear about what i'm going to talk about now it is fender bender friday I'm talking about the claims of defamation, the potential that statements made by some other about you are not true, and the claim that you have been seriously injured in your reputation because of those claims. Well, let's get to it, because there are certain types of claims, I went through these in the first half, that are what are called per se uh, defamation. Things like false claims against your business, or calling a woman a whore or a slut or a prostitute. These things you would think have automatic harm, and I think on some level they do. These are called per se damages that are available. You know, I'm a plaintiff's attorney, and there are many who have accused plaintiff's attorneys of actually salivating at the mere possibility of taking on a client in a potential defamation case uh, where there are per se damages available. One of those four things, again, uh, the the chastity of a woman, uh, that kind of thing, because the plaintiff's lawyers might think uh, erroneously, I'll point out now, that if a case gets to the jury, uh, the defendant's going to feel pressure to settle because of the potential of of, uh, excessive damages. Well, um, I think if you go around the country and you ask a lot of plaintiff lawyers what evidence of reputational harm they'd have to produce at this type of a trial, a defamation trial, to recover presumed damages, they might likely say, what are you kidding? None. It's automatic. Call this woman a whore publicly and uh, you know she gets lots of money. Well, the truth of the matter is that's not always the case. The case law has shown that even presumed damages must be supported by confident, competent evidence and that the presumption of damages uh, can be overcome. Defense lawyers would strongly uh, be advised to move for what is called summary judgment in a court after the plaintiff's case if the plaintiff has not shown what damages came as a result of the allegedly false statements. Okay, so I want to go into uh, the types of damages, and um, there are two in in these defamation cases Um, statements that are defamatory per se, and again, I've gone through the list of four, and statements that are defamatory per quad. A statement is defamatory per se if it is so obviously and inevitably hurtful to the plaintiff on its face that Facts are not needed to explain its injurious character. In contrast, a statement is considered defamatory per quad when it's not obviously hurtful on its face, thus requiring additional facts to establish its defamatory nature. So the main difference between per se and per quad actions for the purpose of defamation understanding when a statement is considered defamatory per se, actual damages are said to be presumed. All right, great. So let's take a case where um, presumed damages were there, and a Los Angeles jury really smacked it to uh, the individual who made these statements. And you might uh, you might know, if you don't know the, the individual, you might know uh, his business. Georges Marciano was the co-founder of Guess Jeans. Guess Jeans, right. Okay, well, um, he accused uh, five ex-employees of theft and fraud, accusing them of attempting to steal millions of dollars in funds uh, from him and artwork and wine from him. So because of the nature of this, you know, I mean, accusing someone of theft and hurting your business, that sort of thing, uh, the damages might be presumed. A Los Angeles jury in this case awarded $370 million to these five individuals uh, in a defamation suit that they filed against the guest Jeans co-founder, Mr. Marciano. Um, The reason for this, pretty clear. He had absolutely zero proof that these things were true, and these claims were absolutely injurious to the five, all who came into court and testified in different ways as to how these allegations hurt them, sending information to uh, Mar- Marciano, uh, was sending information uh, by email accusing these guys uh, to authorities and to other people, hurting their chances to get jobs and having police investigate them. Here are the damages categories. Here they are. There's three types. There's nominal damages. There are presumed damages. And there is the potential always for punitive damages in defamation lawsuits. Punitive damages, to start with, just a real quick thought here, can be available if the plaintiff can show that the defendant acted with actual malice. Okay, Uh, I wanted to get that out because it's something that, you know, when you say punitive damages, people's eyes light up. Nominal damages. Nominal damages are awarded when the insignificant character of the defamatory matter or the plaintiff's bad character leads the jury to believe that no substantial harm has been done to the reputation of the individual. It's critical in a defamatory per se action that the jury be instructed concerning nominal damages that would be a grounds for reversal uh, or new trial if a judge doesn't do that. The jury should know that awarding such damages is an option when it believes that the plaintiff was defamed but has presented only modest proof of harm. Okay. Presumed damages. We talked about this in per se cases. This is, again, one of those four items, you know, calling someone a whore or a lady a whore or damaging the business. Um, these are defined uh, as uh, damages here as personal humiliation, embarrassment, injury to reputation and standing in a community, mental suffering, anguish and anxiety. Courts have regularly recognized That law does not allow for recovery of economic damages, such as lost profits, as presumed damages. So you can't come into court and say that because so and so said A, B, C, D, E against me, I lost money. You have to come in and show that you lost the money and how much. Nevertheless, many plaintiff's attorneys are often attempting to argue to a jury that such losses should be considered in determining presumed damages. Wrong play, Mr. or Miss Attorney. You got to prove those damages, and you also have to prove other damages: the um, the humiliation, the embarrassment. One effective way to prevent such an argument is through what is called a motion in limine. What does that mean? A limine is a uh, a word that you know from um, uh, from the vernacular uh, in the law. It means to limit a motion to limit. So defense attorneys can be aware that courts have repeatedly recognized presumed damages should never be substantial. A jury instruction setting forth this general rule should be sought. Presumed damages must be proven, and if so, then they can be substantial. Back to punitive damages just for a moment to, you know, close the circle. Um, clearly courts have to be what we're going to call gatekeepers in deciding whether facts of a particular case justify the imposition of punitive damages. Punitive damages are meant to punish. Okay, you get punitive damages, it's like you're the plaintiff filing a lawsuit and you can establish all these different things that happen to you as a result of the defamatory statement or statements and you would be able to get compensation for these, proving your, uh, your suffering, your anguish. But punitive damages could then also be awarded not to compensate the person who uh, had suffered the embarrassment of the false statements, but to punish the wrongdoer. And so I don't want to use the word windfall, but it's the best word that I can think of right now. It's just extra damages that the plaintiff gets. Uh, If the court determines that they're appropriate, the jury can award them where a plaintiff can show actual malice. So somebody actually going out there and intentionally lying, trying to harm you, can be hit with punitive damages. Now, one of the things that's very clear, punitive damages cannot be awarded where there are no presumed damages. And likely they can't be awarded where a plaintiff has only sustained uh, nominal damages. I want to talk about a case called Gertz versus Robert Welch. The United States Supreme Court addressed what we're gonna call the oddity of allowing the recovery of damages in defamation cases without evidence of actual loss in this Gertz versus Welch case. Um, Recognizing the need for a limitation on the reach of such damages, the court found. That the customary types of actual harm resulting from defamatory statements, such as an impairment of reputation and standing in the community, uh, personal humiliation, and mental anguish and suffering, must be supported by competent evidence concerning the injury, and that juries must be limited by appropriate jury instructions. The court did not use the term "presumed damages" to describe the defamation damage it was referring to in this Gertz case, but it was clearly referring to presumed damages. In uh, clearly, the same harms enumerated by the court fall under the definition of presumed damages. So, in, in another case that, that's very, very instructive about this concept, um, Brown. And Williamson Tobacco Corporation versus Jacobson. Uh, a jury awarded the plaintiff cigarette company $3 million in presumed damages based on the allegedly defamatory statements made by a local CBS broadcaster who claimed that the company adopted an ad campaign designed to attract kids. Okay, well, you know, I'd say that's pretty pretty defaming, wouldn't you? You're a CBS TV announcer, broadcaster, and you're talking about this cigarette company and accusing them of of designing ads to attract kids, to get kids as customers, you know, for for your cigarette products and tobacco products. I'd say that's pretty damaging. Well, the company, uh, the tobacco company, failed to prove any damages. So on an appeal the court reduced the verdict from the 3 million dollars in presumed damages again because nothing proven to 1 dollar $1. Okay well folks a short podcast for you today because you know if I wanted to just keep talking about, pod, about a podcast if I wanted to keep talking about defamation uh, and cases There's no end to it. Um, I'm I'm one of these people that just loves knowledge, and so you know if I've got nothing else to do, which is few and far between in my life, um, I'll just sit down at the internet and pick a topic and and start researching it. And I think it's fun. And perhaps you might think it's fun too. Go in and look on on the uh, internet. Look up defamation cases. Um, You could be reading from now to uh, you know months from now about these cases. And I think if you do that, you'll get a very clear understanding and education, uh, perhaps even more than I've shared with you here on this this show today, uh, about the value of keeping your mouth shut. You know, it's one thing to have a grudge against somebody, it's another to publicize it. Um, I think in this case, less is more. I hope that that you never have a situation where you have been insulted. Uh, where you'd want to consider filing a lawsuit against the person who insulted you. And I certainly hope that you'll have the good sense not to ever insult anybody uh, so that they don't sue you. This has been the legal merry-go-round version of Fender Bender Fridays. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back on Monday.
0: Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.